Hey Siri, subscribe to the Crisis Intervention Team podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Crisis Intervention Team? Sit minute. Ask a doc, ask a cop by Crisis Intervention Team Incorporated. Oh yeah. But I'm Matt Tinney. I'm one of the detectives here in Albuquerque for the Crisis Intervention Unit. One of the uh, instructors when it comes to our training on this, and I've always been a fan of how, I guess, emotions, you know, respond to things. Um, we really teach hard on the seven active listening skills here. My favorite one is emotion labeling. And so that's kind of, I assume, the effectiveness of it and, and the field and how it actually works. And so then I started kind of doing more research on notion or motion, emotion. And so I had to look up something here. So it is giving me that drink too much here. It's all because I had to use words that rhymed on this one. <laughs> ben, why do you hate the sad map, Will? Uh, there's a number of reasons. Just so most human beings have emotions and don't need a wheel to label them. You may leave. <laughs> so this one I'm going to try to cover is, so what exactly is an emotion? Some emotions throughout history and then theories of emotions on it. That kind of stuff. So I want you guys to kind of name this one. This was from my friend Dana. So this is what he was talking about when he saw the Grand Canyon. He said that this is what he felt physically, that he felt that his knees were weak um, and that he couldn't speak at the site. So what emotion do you guys think that he is feeling on this one? Awestruck. Fear. Awestruck. Fear. Intoxication. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Intoxication. We can't have the chat up, can we? Amazing anxiety. Dr. Burad clearly hates the Grand Canyon. God smack? God. Oh, it was like he was listening to some 90s rock. It just started playing. What would be that? Early thousands? Colorful. All right, some of the same wording was used uh, with my buddy Steve. And he said that he described the first time seeing his wife when she was coming down that uh, he started feeling kind of sweaty. He felt weak at his knees. At his, you know, he also was a loss for words. Yeah. So that is what, an Eminem song. So what is the emotion <laughs> that he was feeling on this one? Panic. Panic. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti? The wall was empty, nervous. So this is going to cost her. Wow, people on here hate the idea of marriage. Love. Love. Aww. Aww. Somebody that hasn't been married speaking. <laughs> Responsibility. Okay. You know, I do think this is funny because Ben actually caught this already. The wording of this is all the same. <laughs> and it is Eminem. So what was Eminem feeling when he actually labeled or wrote these words? Anxiety. Anxiety. Nervous. Yeah, nervousness, all that kind of stuff. I just think it's interesting. I mean, we should all know that I actually don't have friends, so I don't know a Stephen or a Dana. That just doesn't exist. <laughs> but the same type of... Uh, uh, you know, way that we describe things can be different emotions. And so how do we actually define then what is an emotion for trying to figure that out? 
And so this was a definition I found that an emotion is often defined as a complex uh, state of feelings that result in physical and psychological changes that influence our, our thoughts and behaviors. So then is a, an emotion a feeling? Is it an instinct or reaction? You know, this comes up with a lot of different things on that. And so this is actually from the Library of Congress, which was interesting about kind of defining the difference between a feeling and an emotion. And so this is what this doctor was mentioning. So when we express any of the primary emotions, and you know, we teach some of these like sadness, happiness, anger, fear, surprise, disgust, um, we express them physically in ways that can be observed by anyone around us. Um, this is actually kind of what comes about with emotional labeling. But feelings, he states, by contrast, as you can see here, that they're perceptions of those changes happening in the body. And that, you know, the happening in a way that we can cognitively feel it and change it. So maybe you do feel a loss for words or sweaty palms, so to say, but it's how you interpret that feeling um, can be an emotion. So it's very interesting on these things to me. So emotions in our culture, I think emotions are, are, they help us survive in culture and they help us just survive in daily life on this kind of stuff. If you start off your day feeling great or having a great day, it's going to be a lot easier to let negative things slide off of you. And so that could be the opposite too. If you're having a really bad day and you start off in a bad mood, negativity more likely affects you on that kind of stuff. So emotions do actually play a big role in helping us kind of survive our day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and they affect our relationships with others. So, you know, if someone's telling you a sad story and you just start laughing and you show the wrong emotion, you're not going to have friends. You're not going to be able to maintain different uh, relationships in that kind of matter. Do you guys have any other examples of when someone used the wrong emotion on something? Or perceive the wrong emotion on you? I think sometimes, Selena with Coast, I think sometimes like uh, people's tone or the volume, like sometimes it, they might be excited or they you might perceive it as them kind of like yelling or upset. I mean, it just depends on how that, that tone is or the volume. Right. Ben Melendres, uh, I think that people with resting bitch face probably get the wrong emotions about them. They may be happy, but their face is just the way it is, and people think they're right. angry. Or... So someone that doesn't show a lot of uh, facial features in their emotions. Yeah. I always think sometimes we misread emotions um, in law enforcement. Have you guys ever had a, a call or a complaint because it was like a deceased person call and someone's complaining that officers are laughing? You're not laughing at that, but you know people are misreading it because they might see that. <laughs> Sorry, so she doesn't appreciate that, Ben. Any messages via text? Everyone puts their own uh, emotions into text. It's a very interesting thing. We're going to go over some of these theories, and, and that kind of uh, applies to one of those theories. So it happens a lot in law enforcement. People report uh, residential burglary, and to them, it's a major violation of privacy. And to police, it's a minor and it's easy to forget or show the empathy. It's very true. Um, we often, I think, unfortunately, are becoming more of a service of numbers than actual, you know, uh, quality. But look at this kind of stuff, too. Think about this. If, if people take maybe what to you is a small situation and they, you know, just fly off the handle for it, they might 
come across as being unbalanced, hyper even, or immature on that kind of stuff. And the same thing goes with someone acting too happy. So maybe a small things happen and someone's just too ecstatic about it. We look down on that kind of stuff. And so in our culture, at least here in the States, you know, we're expected to rein in the outward showing of our feelings on this kind of stuff. In fact, you know, showing too much emotion has gotten a lot of people in trouble in their career. Do any of you guys remember this? Does anyone remember what the context was for Tom Hanks jumping everywhere? It's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Oh, my God. Yes, Tom Cruise. He was in love. He was in love. He was just showing how happy he was, jumping around. People view that like he was psychotic. What a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you think about different high-profile figures, there's been politicians before that have Scientology. Sorry. You know, there's a lot of different politicians that have gotten in trouble or looked at as weak because they've cried during speeches or they get up to, to do something and they show too much emotion. So it's viewed as weak or things like that. So it goes down. So who in our society then is it acceptable for them not to reign in their emotions? Actors. So actors. Okay. Royalty. Royalty. Children. 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 Jackie and Jen are on the same thought process right now. It is in fact children. We are okay with allowing children to not show the proper emotions. To throw tantrums, we just, you know, say it's someone being a child, or it's a child being a child, I should say. You know, we don't look at it negatively. But if it's an adult that's throwing a temper tantrum, you know, we, we look down upon that. It's an interesting thing about emotions on that. So emotions have actually changed throughout history. How we view them, how we label them, and it was interesting to kind of see some of these things. So Yanni, what, in your guys' opinion, do you see someone yawning, the act of yawning, the feeling of yawning, the emotion of it, what does it mean? How do you guys interpret that act? Tired, bored, bored. Sleepy. Sleepy. Contagious. Contagious, which is true. So in the 12th century, some of the poets there viewed it as the deepest love. The act of yawning was actually to, to show your waiting and wanting of love. It wasn't boredom. It wasn't that. So somewhere along the line, we changed how this you know, uh, action was perceived by us and how we viewed it on that kind of stuff. How about dismay? <laughs> What does dismay mean? What is that emotion? How do you feel dismayed? What reaction does it get from you? Everyone here doesn't want to admit that they know what dismay is. Not pleased. Oftentimes how Sarge feels about you saying inappropriate things, I would imagine. Oftentimes Sarge might have dismay for me. It's just an interesting one, because from, from some of the research, it showed that actual knights in the 12th century would faint from this. So they would go and have a feeling of dismay, and it would publicly faint. And that was considered acceptable. 
And nowadays, to publicly fake the dismay, I doubt it would be acceptable on that. The most interesting one that I've found that has changed throughout history is nostalgia. So what does this mean to you? And how, how about this? What does it mean to you? And describe the feeling, if you can, of nostalgia and falling off their horse. Ben Melendres with APD, it's like a fondness for past experiences. Okay. How about the network? What does nostalgia mean to you? Or how would you describe the feeling of it? Looking back at the good old times. How about in the room? What does nostalgia mean to you guys? Looking back. Look back. Some will say a familiarity. There's something that, that pops up on that, the good old days. So the first word and meaning of nostalgia was actually from this doctor. It was Johannes Hoffer. And it was a diagnosis and it was a deadly condition. So nostalgia was first published in medical research because of a case that happened about an individual that was off to school in another um, county or town. And so he actually developed homesickness. But back in that time, homesickness was considered deadly. It was down. It was, you know, people lost, you know, motivation. They just quit eating. They got sick. They got frail. They would actually die from that. So he wrote up a big thing, and nostalgia then was actually a term used to consider this deadly diagnosis of wanting, of, you know, missing something. And the last known death was actually an American soldier in World War I in France. So it's just interesting to see that, that you know, the words that we use nowadays meant something completely different before. It's like they evolved with time. And also, why is it back that people would die of nostalgia or homesickness, and now they don't? What's the difference? What do you guys feel is the difference between then and now? Ben Melinda's APD, I think probably they were giving a name to what we know is depression. Could be. Ortiz agrees with you. Another depression for a word for depression, suicide. You know, there's a lot of different stuff. One of the theories um, that this historian I was reading up on some of her work mentioned was that it could be cultural change. Is that in that time, it was acceptable to have this, this yearning and it was not acceptable to be away from your family. So to have that, it was culturally acceptable for you to become ill away from your family. And now we kind of look or we promote the independence so especially here in America, we really promote independence. You know, it's more like you should be able to survive on your own. You should do this kind of stuff. And so it could be a cultural adaptation to it. It could be a lot of different things. It's just an interesting thing to happen. This is a very busy slide here. But it says WTF. So this is a neuroscientist uh, 
Lisa Barrett, and she does a bunch of different studies with relationships between words and emotions. She actually thinks that emotions don't exist, that we actually portray them, our own beliefs of what someone's feeling. But she argues that when we learn a new word for emotion, we will then almost have new feelings. So we'll either create feelings or add feelings that may not have been there. And I, you know, when I was reading up some of her stuff, I was like, this is actually kind of interesting. And I thought about all the new little acronyms, you know, WTF, LMAO, and all these other kind of things like that. Or OMG. People are typing these all the time. And you guys actually mentioned this about text. Do you now kind of attach an emotion to that? You know, it, it's strange. Like, I always think if I read, you know, WTF in a, in a text or something like in a meeting, someone writes that to me, I actually feel an emotion to that. You know, it means more than just the words that are there. Do you guys feel the same on that one? Have you guys kind of attached emotions to these words? Has anyone of you guys heard of these words? So here's a new one, illings. Has anyone ever heard this one? Because we feel this one. So this actually came in the 50s. It was a, a researcher. And, and it came about from a research study that he did which is a description of an emotion that we feel with a minor act of chaos. He said it was short-term delirium. And so it can become a strange excitement over destruction. And he first noticed it when he observed people playing a board game or a card game. I can't remember which. But something would happen and then someone would play the next move, which just created complete chaos. It like destroyed where the game was going. And you could see a change in emotion from the players. And so you might, if anyone here you know, does uh, video games or does any gaming, you might know what this means. And so then they tie this to other short acts of minor chaos, where I guess nowadays it could be someone gets upset and like kicks a trash can. That excitement of just all of a sudden everything just, just changed or, you know, accidentally or purposefully like dropping all your books out of like your backpack, so to say. Something that's just strange and out of the, the ordinary, it's this, this excitement that happens from them. Now, how about this one, vasorexia? Vandals, lack of control. I think I need glasses now, but I'm not able to read these things. But vasorexia, a lot of people have told me that for some reason I induce this feeling when they look at me. So I want you guys to think about, when I deal with Tenny, I feel blank. What do you guys feel that emotion would be? Fear of bass fishing? <laughs> Interesting. So bassorexia, very unique emotion, very unique one. It's a sudden urge to kiss somebody. <laughs> oh my god. That is that emotion. Yeah, but it is. Yeah. Okay. So I know whenever people see me, they're just like, I just want to go kiss somebody. It's the strangest thing. But, you know, now that you know these words for these emotions that were there, it makes the emotions become a little bit more real. You might hear that, and then you elicit the feeling of that emotion in you because now there's a word to describe it. So that's a, a strange thing to happen. 
that maybe the emotion existed, but now is it a stronger emotion because you actually have a word to uh, have that? Who rad you know you want to kiss me <laughs> on it? So here's one of the theories of emotions. It comes from James and Lane. Um, so there were one of the very first theories. It's, some of it's been disproven on this kind of stuff. I think Ben Fears, Matt, so I would agree with that one. Um, emotions occur as a result of a psychological reaction to events. A physiological reaction to events, sorry. Um, it, it is dependent on how you interpret your physical symptoms. So what they were saying is, you know, like you see a snake and you begin to tremble and your heart races. But you interpret that as fear. So you were frightened because you were trembling, it was their argument, and not that you were trembling because you were frightened. And so it's an interesting theory of maybe the emotion. So in this one, it would be probably more like the emotion is actually triggered off of your physical feelings. Kind of goes back to the Eminem song. You know, we were interpreting someone's feelings with an emotion. So we were placing the emotion we perceive them to have based off their physical symptoms. So it's kind of an interesting one on that. The uh, Cannon-Bard theory of emotion. So this one, they really pushed for the thalamus, which is part of the brain. They were saying that this sends a response to your brain, references a uh, stimulus, which gets an emotion. And that was disproven, that the brain part. But some of this other stuff, you know, that the reaction without an emotion attached. So they were saying their argument to the first theory was that, you know, just because your heart's racing doesn't mean there's emotion or just because you exhibit this stuff. So they're saying, you know, your heart might race because of exercise, that there's no emotion attached to it. And so that's where they were trying to get out of that one. And they were saying that if you feel an emotion and a, a physiological reaction or response, it'll happen at the exact same time. So Dr. Burad wrote, for humans, bearing teeth with lips upturned is generally seen as a smile. Other mammals see this bearing teeth as a physical threat. So it's interesting. A lot of these emotion theories are based off of how humans are and animals. So they'll look at it together. So they're trying to say is the theory of emotion that uh, a survival instinct on that. So how we express it and how we interpret it on that kind of stuff. This was an interesting one that had an interesting experience. So this one uh, theory of this emotion is that your, your physiological arousal must occur first. Um, and that you then identify the reason for that, and then you label that reason as an emotion. So they actually did an experiment where they gave everyone, these students, they were believed to be taking a vitamin, and then they were just to watch people interact. The vitamin was actually um, epinephrine, which is just adrenaline. So students were given adrenaline, and then they watched students acting out stuff. So they watched a student acting out, doing paperwork, and then becoming angry. And then they watched the student acting out, doing paperwork, and then showing signs of being happy on that kind of stuff. And so what do you guys think happened on that one? The students that watched up becoming angry, what do you think happened? They got angry. They got angry. And the students watching people happy, what do you think happened? They got angry. They got happy on it. So their argument on this, and this is what some people believe, is that our emotions are actually tied to what other people are displaying. Um, and or can be tied to that. And they call this emotional contagion, which, I, you know, I have actually seen this before. And so, and we were kind of talking that before about people with maybe, you know, a flat facial expression, so having that resting face 
or someone that you can't read right because maybe they're overly excited on kind of stuff and you almost get overly excited in that conversation. And so sometimes if you are trying to get through to somebody and it's not working for rapport building or anything like that, almost taking an even more pleasant tone, pleasant uh, body language, expression, moving things along like that can actually become a contagion. That person you're talking to will almost fill that upbeat and want to fill in the blanks for that kind of stuff. It's very unique on that kind of stuff. But this, you know, has been shown to actually, this emotional contagion has been shown in different areas too. So you might see it in a stranger that's part of like going to a wedding or seeing a wedding and everyone's crying, but they don't really know the person, but they feel overwhelmed with those emotions and they might start crying too. Or, you know, they're part of maybe at a, uh, you see this at like comedy clubs. Someone might say a joke and someone's laughing. Maybe you didn't quite get it, but you also find it funny. And it's because everyone else is just laughing around you. It's this contagion of these emotions that we experience on this kind of stuff. So it was an interesting theory and it was an interesting experiment. It was just kind of surprising that now that experiment seems uh, like nonsense or, or common sense. I mean, like, well, no, duh. But at the time, you know, people weren't quite sure where emotions came from or how to do that until we wrote about mob mentality. I think it can. When we are together in a group, it does, you know, our thoughts and our perceptions change to group idea and not individually. So, yes, if we are in a large group, we'll typically adapt to their ideas or their um, purpose on that. You know, we kind of get rid of our individualism on that kind of stuff. So the cognitive appraisal theory, this one has been used a lot to create uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, actually, CBT. And Aaron Beck this is a psychiatrist that kind of created that. So his uh, one of these theories and, and people that kind of research this show that our thoughts alone can actually produce emotions. So he's saying you don't need an actual physical stimulus to have an emotion. You can actually think and have an emotion on your own. He actually tied this to a lot of stuff when it came to depression. So someone that has a dysfunctional attitude or automatically creates what he titled was a negative tri uh, triad, triad, sorry, is that you have a negative view of yourself, your world, and your future. That if you have this, it kind of just keeps circling around and around. And so you create this emotion because of your own view of yourself. So if you have negative feelings, then anything that's in your world, you will perceive negative, and therefore you will actually view the future as negative. And so it just kind of circles back and creates this emotion. And so one of the goals of CBT is to actually help you break that cycle, or to help you kind of view the, what is actually negative and what is not, or how to view things positively. But, but one of the things that was interesting is he said sadness is, is caused by a belief that you lost or will lose something. So that is the feeling of sadness and how we interpret it. And anger is caused by the belief that someone has taken something from you on that. And anxiety is based on the belief that something bad will happen to you. So this is kind of some publications from Aaron Beck on that and some of his thoughts on that. Other people for this, and this was an interesting one with uh, Albert Ellis, who was a psychologist. So his was you have to think first before experiencing emotion. And of course, this happens just so quickly that you don't realize this, but he came out with the ABC model of emotion. So A is an activating event, and B is the belief, and C would be the consequences. So this would kind of be the emotion that happens. So in order to have an emotion from him, you have to have an activating event, especially if it comes to a positive or negative emotion. And so there's an example he said, like a friend turns you down for lunch. 
If you automatically jump to the belief that it's because he doesn't like you or she doesn't like you, the consequence will be a bad mood. It could be sad. It could be upset. And this is because your belief on that one. But let's say you change it like, oh, yep, everyone gets busy, but you know what? We get to meet uh, again later. And so you have a positive view for the future. The consequence would probably be positive. And so his argument is to change the consequence, which would be your emotion, you need to first change your beliefs. And so to change your beliefs, you need to examine them. And that's probably one of the hardest things. But I will say this actual theory, I enjoy a lot for my personal self. So a lot of times if, if I'm getting overwhelmed and I feel it might just be stress relators of work, personal life, anything like that, and if I start seeing things negative, I have to go back to why is that? So what is my belief that I'm interpreting this event as that? And so by examining that, at least helps me feel a little bit more in control of what originally felt like an uncontrollable circumstance. So it does help me change the consequence or the emotion that I'm feeling for that. I also like this if we're looking at it for crisis response. So especially high-risk crisis response. Sometimes, it, or have you guys ever been out with somebody that's showing some kind of far range of emotion, be it suicidality, you know, they're crying uncontrollably, something like that, and you're just like, I have no clue why this person is doing that. What they're saying is a reason, you know, just seems so minor. Have you guys ever experienced this? So what have you guys done to build that gap or try to figure out what's, you know, happening that's causing this? Was there a technique or can someone give an example? You guys have never experienced this. I find this extremely hard to believe. Ben Melinda's APD, I think anytime you're dealing with emotions in a, in a crisis situation, I've always found that the thing that's the most helpful is just, you know, validating what they're feeling. Even if it seems, you know, out of place uh, or overblown to you, to them it's very real. So just saying, you know, I can see why you feel that way or how will help you let me know about why you're feeling that way. Just validating what they're feeling helps, uh, you know, kind of ground them a little bit. It's very true. Any other tips or, or ways that you guys got through to somebody? It's a great one. I think um, this is Dr. Hatfield from West Virginia. I think a lot of times when we deal, at least when I deal with patients that are in a crisis, you're already dealing with that ABC model. You're dealing with the C. You're dealing with the consequence of the emotions and the setting event. So if you can get them talking, and as they're talking, as you said, like identify the emotions and try to pick up and validate as what was just said, then you can start to get back to what the setting event was and get a better understanding of what happened and how they got there. Does that make sense? It does. That's a great technique. I think sometimes we don't realize our own um, interpretation of events. We kind of go from something happened to we are feeling the emotion. And so sometimes by, you know, asking people, maybe using open-ended questions or labeling emotions you're seeing, makes them kind of talk about it. They bring up why the belief is there and what the activating event is. And during the process, they almost de-escalate themselves by just talking to you about it. It's a very unique thing on that one. But if you guys are ever working with like a coworker that's having a hard time, you know, or a loved one, 
sometimes it's that, you know, why do you feel this way? Like, oh, I see, like, man, you're sad. What happened to make you feel that way? Oh, you know, your dog died. Well, that's easy to be why you're upset. Well, I believe that, you know, I lost a close friend to me. But if it's something that's, you know, what's going on, you seem so stressed, and, you know, the event could be I'm overworked, you know, I feel overworked at work or I'm behind on stuff, you know, well, what's going to happen? What's really the negative event of having too much work at this time? You know, is the belief that you're going to get in trouble for it? Well, then what is the, the actual thing that could get you in trouble? Focus on that instead of the overall everything. It's easy for us to just take on everything at once. Yes, Lauren. Uh, Lauren Savage with ABD. I think a lot of why some people won't go out on that limb and try to emotionally label during this is that they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. And so I think people should just realize that even if you're wrong, you can come back from that because you're still making that attempt. And if you're wrong, you can apologize. And at least they're going to get out what emotion. If you missed it, they're going to come out with that emotion that you missed. So, but I can see a lot of people might feel stressed about, oh God, I said that he was sad and he's really not sad. He's this. Right. And so I think that may stop people from, from doing this. No, I could totally see that. People, for some reason, we do have that natural fear that we're going to mislabel an emotion or that it's just odd. No one wants to hear a cop or anyone say, hey, you're feeling this way. But like before, emotions and the name of emotions change. And they mean different stuff to different cultures. So by mislabeling emotion doesn't mean, you know, it's the end of the world. Hopefully someone will then be able to correct you and, and better explain that emotion. Or by asking them, hey, wow, it seems like you're, whatever, sad on that. If someone agrees to that, you can ask, what does sad mean to you? What does that mean to you on that? Because it could mean a completely different thing on that kind of stuff. But I thought this was a very interesting one that I think we can interpret into our own personal lives and this kind of stuff too, possibly help change it. But so those are some of the, the different theories when it comes to all the different uh, emotions on this kind of stuff. Let's see here. Let's see here. So Ortiz says, for me, the point of emotion labeling is so that the person can correct me. Mostly because I'm horrible at labeling emotions. And once they do correct, it's a good talking point to get the underlying issue. That's a great one. I mean, it's my favorite skill to use and I'll mislabel emotions that are close enough to get the conversation going. I think that's a great technique that you mentioned. So in summary, you know, we were talking about this. I hope you guys like my happy picture I put on here, balloons. So emotions are expressed differently by everyone. And this goes kind of back to Lawrence's point, you know, you can label it wrong. That's because we all experience them differently. And the, the name of the emotion means something different to all of us. I mean, culturally, especially if you're here in the United States, we somewhat know what sad might mean. But the actual feeling of it, the interpretation of that, that word is going to be different to each person. You know, a lot of factors influence how we feel and how we display them on that kind of stuff. That, you know, names for emotions will change over time. So we kind of have to try to be aware of that, especially when we are encountering or doing any kind of intervention with younger population. And how we interpret emotions evolve. And on the air, don't seek a snake or a bear to fill these emotions. That's a disclaimer. I don't want you guys to be doing your own little theories of like, I'm going to go and poke this bear and then figure out the process of my emotions. Yep, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, it happened right away. On that, so this will go up on the site. All the references are in here for you guys too. On that stuff, if you guys need it, I want to read up more on that kind of stuff.